Hello, my dear friends. Welcome to 2022 and season two of the Brightly Human podcast. As always, I'm your host, July Westhale, here to bring you short musings on poems and haphazardly try to apply them to a craft and life perspective. Last month, we talked about presence and absence, and that was a roundabout circuitous way of talking about resolutions and goals, perfection, moving goalpost. And today I thought I would visit an old favorite book that has taken on a new meaning, as the best books do, and talk about a poem by Bob Hickok from his collection, Elegy Ode. Uh, The poem is called What the Great Apes Refer to as a Philosophy of Life. Talk about it through the context of what it means to turn a calendar year and also how we can look to what Hickok does in the poem and apply it to our own work or ways of thinking about poetry specifically. On a personal note, I believe this is the first episode that I'm sending you from my new apartment, and that feels apropos, particularly in talking about philosophies of life as they come through the lens of poetry. And also to share that I'll be doing a reading on January 19th, which I will share in the Brightly Human newsletter along with your regular writing prompts and craft uh, tips. I have also gotten a few questions about if I'm going to be teaching community workshops again anytime soon. I think possibly this spring. I've taken a bit of a break, but I will keep everyone posted on that. So let's jump in. First, I'm going to read this Bob Hickok poem and then talk about it, and then read it again, and then send you on your joyful way. This is What the Great Apes Refer to as a Philosophy of Life by Bob Hickok. Looking for someone to mug, asking politely, can I mug you? A kindly grammarian responds, may I mug you? And hands me her purse, her child, her mortgage, I have to feed the child and pay for the house. A small thing, like the smell of piss in the streets, makes me nostalgic for New York in 82, when everyone was mugging everyone. It was more like a cultural exchange, or a kind of greeting. I'm worried about the child's standardized test scores, about how I look carrying a purse, it's not my color, and styles are always changing. Just last week I was looking for someone to kill. The week before that, someone to scold me for not being an intravenous drug user. These things, God does these things, like send us out halfway on a rope bridge before telling us he's changed his mind about rope. It shouldn't exist. It's not going to exist any moment, like we're not going to exist any moment. And I have never applauded a grape in an alley. I have never put my hands around the face of a stranger like a chalice. There's so much to do if I want to be fully human, not three quarters or half or sort of human. I have to hoist you on my shoulder so you can jump over the wall. I have to build the wall higher. 
I have to catch you on the other side. I have to shoot you for trying to escape. I have to call your mother and tell her you won't be coming home. I have to set another place. I have to gather rain into a body and make love with the rain body and teach the rain body to moan and be taught by the rain body how to fall apart into the most beautiful future reaching of grass with its billion, billion snambulant tongues into the quiet applause of sunlight, into the pliant embrace of air. May I mug you, may I kiss you, may I sit with you on the veranda or build with you such verandas as we need, such skies as will hold the verandas in their arms, such martinis as Plato never went on about, or I'd read him more often. Sure the cave, sure the fire, sure the shadow, sure we're stuck, but a drink now and then makes philosophy more bearable, in that it's hard to hold a drink in one hand and a book in the other and a hand in your other hand. I choose the drink in the hand hand over the drink in the book hand. These are my priorities. If they suit you, we can may share. This is a bit longer of a poem than we usually talk about on this podcast. But as usual, I will first contextualize this by saying that this poem is entirely enjammed, which means that there are no periods in it. There are commas separating out the thoughts, but it's all one stanza. And so if we've learned from our good friends, Frank O'Hara and Ross Gay, anything, we've learned that in jam poems invoke a kind of breathlessness, a kind of frenzy, a kind of movement without stop. And when they're segmented out, in this case, we can say they're segmented out with commas, we can look to that as a, as a way of adding on or overlaying the meaning that came before. One thing I really love about Bob Hickok's poetry, and that makes it a book, his, this book in particular, a book that I return to again and again, is he occupies a lot of humor in his work. Uh, especially when he's talking about things that are dead serious, which this book is a book of elegies, so it is dead serious. But also the the delight and play with language, it's the work of a mind that knows language really well and is able to push into it and expand it and show the power of it. Kind of like the elevator in uh, Charlie and Chocolate Factory up and down and sideways and backwards and slantways. Every time I think that I have all of the understandings of a word or a phrase, they get pushed in another direction. He's also quite good about tying up loose ends. We see the this we see this happen very profoundly within the understanding of grammar that is laid out in the first two lines looking for someone to mug, asking politely, can I mug you? A kindly grammarian responds, may I mug you? And then the poem ends with, if they suit you, we can, may share. Which is clever because it evokes the understandings that we have of grammar, right? Which are, grammar is a tool of conquest. We, It's a way of saying, here is a baseline from which we operate as a way of passing through the world of code switching a way of agreeing on a certain set of rules insofar as they serve us, right? And then going through and breaking the rules. Can is supposed to mean 
able to, May is supposed to ask permission. If they suit you, we can, May share, we can, meaning we are able to, and May, asking permission or taking permission, share. But on the subject of building meaning and layering it over, we see that happen through repetition. For example, he's changed his mind about rope. It shouldn't exist. It's not going to exist any moment. Like, we're not going to exist any moment. Also, the element of surprise. If you're, if you're able to look at this, it's not on the Poetry Foundation website, but it is in this collection, Elegy Ode, uh, out through Copper Canyon. But you don't, you don't need to follow along visually. I would just say that he's changed his mind about rope. Line break. It shouldn't exist. It's not going to exist. Line break. Any moment. Like we are not going to exist line break any moment and I have never applauded a grape line break in an alley I have never put my hands around the face line break element of surprise it can be said that that is something we're not expecting to encounter here where we're in Many of these concepts and ideas have heretofore been in the abstract, even grammar, which is an abstraction. The concreteness of a grape in an alley is a bit of a surprise, also the idea of it. But also there's a kind of sense to it. I suppose if I think on my own life, I've never applauded a grape in an alley either. Though maybe I might going forward. I've never put my hands around the face of a stranger like a chalice. There's so much to do if I want to be fully human, not three quarters or half or sort of human. I have to hoist you on my shoulders so you can jump over the wall. I have to build the wall higher. I have to catch you. The breathlessness of this poem really serves the content of it. The form serves the content. It always is there to be in service of. That breathlessness is a kind of, to me, frenzied attempt to try to find an existential understanding or reasoning behind some of these larger unanswerable questions. If this poem were written in all end stop, if it were each line, say, ended with a period, it would almost be written like a manifesto or a statement of fact or a way as we have talked about with talking about Zimborska's identification a way of trying to create sense these are the rules however we know from this poem and the entering the poem world in the first two lines talking about grammar that this is a poem that is going to take an understanding of rules and use them as a way to be playful whether that is subverting or just taking our expectations and deviating from them. So this is not written as a manifesto, despite the fact that the title is what the great great apes refer to as a philosophy of life. What the great apes refer to as a philosophy of life. 
even that in and of itself is a bit irreverent, is a bit gestural towards a different understanding of what we might be thinking about. So, my dear friends, why would I read you this poem? I think because while the idea of the calendar year changing over is actually an arbitrary passing of time, it's not anything concrete. I think it's a time of year, winter, as we've discussed before, going inward is a time of year for getting right with one's own philosophies, re-examining them, challenging the stories that you tell yourself, the narratives you walk around with. And what better way to do that as writers and thinkers and joyful beings in the world than to be irreverent about it? (laughs) So I'm going to read this one more time and then send you on your way. What the great apes refer to as a philosophy of life. Looking for someone to mug, asking politely, can I mug you? A kindly grammarian responds, may I mug you? And hands me her purse, her child, her mortgage. I have to feed the child and pay for the house. A small thing, like the smell of piss in the streets makes me nostalgic for New York in 82, when everyone was mugging everyone. It was more like a cultural exchange or a kind of greeting. I'm worried about the child's standardized test scores about how I look carrying a purse, it's not my color, and styles are always changing. Just last week, I was looking for someone to kill. The week before that, someone to scold me for not being an intravenous drug user. These things, God does these things like send us halfway out on a rope bridge before telling us he's changed his mind about rope. It shouldn't exist. It's not going to exist any moment. Like we are not going to exist any moment. And I have never applauded a grape in an alley. I have never put my hands around the face of a stranger like a chalice. There's so much to do if I want to be fully human, not three quarters or half or sort of human. I have to hoist you on my shoulder so you can jump over the wall. I have to build the wall higher. I have to catch you on the other side. I have to shoot you for trying to escape. I have to call your mother and tell her you, tell her you won't be coming home. I have to set another place. I have to gather rain into a body and make love with the rain body and teach the rain body to moan and be taught by the rain body how to fall apart into the most beautiful future reaching of grass with its billion billion sonambulant tongues into the quiet applause of sunlight into the pliant embrace of air may i mug you may i kiss you may i sit with you on the veranda or build with you such verandas as we need such skies as will hold the verandas in their arms such martinis as plato never went on about or i'd read more of him Sure the cave, sure the fire, sure the shadow, sure we're stuck, but a drink now and then makes philosophy more bearable in that it's hard to hold a drink in one hand and a book in the other and a hand in your other hand. I choose the drink and the hand hand over the drink and the book hand. These are my priorities. If they suit you, we can may share. 